Welcome to Crossfade, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. I'm your host, Matt Helgeson. And as always, producer, co-host, Jason Daphnis. What's up, Jason? Uh, you know, I'm feeling all right, Matt. This was one of my favorite epi- episodes to listen to so far. Yeah, this is a different one. And I'll let you explain how a, a listener sort of inspired it. But this is a kind of a personal episode for Jason and I. We basically are um, going back and just listening to the first record that we loved, basically. Um, yeah. From our, you know, our parents' collection um, of records. And uh, so, Jason, why don't you... Uh, should credit the person. It was I thought it was a cool idea that we kind of adapted. Um, Definitely, yeah. Uh, so, MinMax supporter and Discord user Podbod dropped in the chat once upon a time, uh, very recently, actually at the end of May, uh, to ask if we had seen uh, Pitchfork series. I think it's called Five, Ten, Fifteen, Twenty, where they just ask musicians and producers, people famous in the music industry. Um, what music was important to them at various stages of their life, roughly five year chunks. Uh, and, you know, of course, five being the most, I guess, primal. Uh, it's the music that you're, like you were saying, your parents probably showed you or that you just got by osmosis yeah. that really stuck with you that, you know, in the next five years of your life, you started to realize how important it was. Um, and sort of adapting that idea, Podbod wanted us to, wanted to know if we had ever thought about that for an episode. You know, a lot of episode ideas get tossed around. That one felt a bit big. It felt really like we well, could yeah, go for hours and hours to on stick that, right? The, yes. Stick with the album thing. It would have been. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we're lazy. So frankly, we, it's too much work. <laughs> we, uh, we're lazy and we're podcasters. What do you want? But um, the upshot was we, like Matt said, adapted it to where it's just the earliest album we can remember being really important to us that we know we have committed to heart that is really like influential that we still listen to in most cases. Um, so while this is music that I know I was listening to at five years old, I don't know that it's music that I would, that I stopped listening to at five years old. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about for, for you and your pick. Um, yeah, this, I'm, I'm assuming about five i don't know when i like kind of became aware of music but I, i'd imagine around that age this was my my parents favorite band and uh yeah it's thankfully it's one that i hadn't listened to for a while this particular uh, collection but uh held up very well for me i've always thought you know i think and we can get into it later but i think they there was a lot of good musical lessons uh that i mm-hmm. learned from this stuff at a very young age that i still find very applicable to music today listening and making it um but as you probably if you're a a loyal listener of the show will not be surprised to learn jason's picked what i would imagine is probably our most referenced artist on this entire podcast (laughs) just in terms of how many times they've been not referenced enough in my opinion (laughs) uh despite the fact we've never done them we they seem to just pop up a lot uh (laughs) that is the legendary doobie brothers uh, there they are, baby. You know, uh, I kind of step back. Like Doobie Brothers, <laughs> such a dumb band name. It's just like, <laughs> Doobies, man. I think, I think they sort of knew it too. Like yeah. they, they knew it, and they knew that it was like not even edgy at the time. It was in the seventies. Like everybody was constantly high, so it was yeah. just like one of those goof out band names that I, I like. I found a video of Levon Helm saying that they signed their first record deal as the Crackers. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, the band. Yeah. Yep. The, yeah. The yeah. Hon- no, the honkies. It was the honkies. The honkies. That was yeah, it. Yeah, that yeah. was it. Uh, uh, and then, of course, just produce themselves as the band. But I assume it's another one of those. Just like, yeah. hey, man, we need a name. Hey, man, we need a name. Whatever sticks. Yeah. It, it definitely strikes me as sort of like a drunk slash stone kind of inside joke that 
yeah just took on a life of its own and then pretty soon you know, it's, it's like you're you've what, recorded albums as doobie brothers and it's like you yeah can't go back and you're now. topping charts and stuff what's funny is that uh minute by minute uh the second record that um that michael mcdonald's was featured on from the doobies actually like the insert i didn't know this until i owned the vinyl record but uh the insert has just like a half burnt roach <laughs> as a gigantic like blown up picture on it i like they literalized it in the funniest way possible inside of the album cover so that when you were buying it you had no idea what the reference was to i guess or like you had your imagination to run wild and then when you open the record you're hearing this really soulful great music boom there's a big old big old roach yeah i mean i, I don't know if there's too humor. many ways to interpret doobie i mean that's like that was and my mom classic. tried to my mom tried to convince me that it was like because they sing and it's kind of like a doobie doobie doo thing as a kid. She tried to tell me that it was not drug related. <laughs> it worked. It worked it was like for like a, twenty years. It's kind of like a you know uh, extemporaneous like Frank Sinatra kind of deal. Yes, yeah, exactly. Okay. It was it was sort of like the crooner <laughs> age thing, and for sure. some reason I accepted that this music was about that. That makes sense. Totally makes sense. Um, so uh, as we all know. Uh, Jason is a is an avowed disciple of the Doobie Brothers, um, and we are, you know, I should say that I doubt that we would do this under other circumstances. And we've both done this: is we both picked a greatest hits collection. Uh, mm-hmm. In his case, Doobie Brothers greatest hits. The classic one was a little diner mini jukebox cover, and then I picked uh, Chronicle by Creedence Clearwater Revival, the classic double LP uh, singles comp. Uh, so. But I just feel like at a young age, like that's what your parents had. And, you know, to yeah. be honest, like, you know, Spotify and playlists are kind of just like people making greatest hits. And that's kind of maybe what's becoming more dominant now anyway. So, you Full know, circle, man. there's reasons why greatest hit albums sell really well because it's all the big songs that people like. And, you know, mm-hmm, as a kid, mm-hmm. you're not really like, oh, man, I really want to check out like Pendulum instead. <laughs> Mardi Gras, was- people, people shit on Mardi Gras, but there's some good stuff in there. <laughs> Um, it was probably when I was in my twenties that I started to realize like, oh, I should listen to whole albums through and like understand each individual thing. So it is very telling that a, an album I listened to at five was just the best songs from an artist, somebody in my family yes. loves. I think that's a great time capsule. Just the fact that they are greatest hits collections. Yes. Um, maybe we should just, uh, I mean, I will say this. I just realized that um, until this week or two, I've, I don't think I ever actively like, pressed play on the Doobie Brothers on you any for a whole world, buddy. But we like I know all these songs very well. So let's uh yes. what do you want to lead off with? I mean, I don't know the the first one's kind of like yeah, classic honestly, freedom the first rock. One, it is it is classic. It's just let Tom Johnston ring us in. Um this one here is China Grove by the Doobie Brothers. That delay is really awesome. I know. That like makes it. You know, you got the top down, Pacific Coast Highway, going to a beach party. You got a, you got a honey on your arm. You got, a honey, just, you got, it, you got it made in the shade. Doobie burning in one hand. <laughs> I looked up, but China Grove's a real town. Uh, I guess the myth is that they didn't know it was a real town before they wrote the song about really? these, like, yeah. And, hey, and come like, on, this song, man. This, I, I, that's, that's the myth. There's a lot of mythology built around the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> it's a Game of Thrones, like, lore built around the Doobie <laughs> Brothers. Uh, whoa. Um, it's I just classic. don't buy it, Jason. Like, 
the name of the town yeah, is so no. weird, and then it, that it's actually outside of San Antonio. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't, I don't either. Like I said, they've taken to mythologizing themselves a lot, especially since. Man, this is a whole other conversation, but the structure of the Doobie Brothers has changed so significantly since they started uh, that, like, as members rotate, the story kind of rotates, the identity mm-hmm. kind of rotates. People get to ch- like challenge and control the narrative. Right now, it's Patrick Simmons and Tom Johnston in front of it to like they're the authors of the recent biography of the band. Oh yeah, I yeah, love that. I love that. So yeah, like, there's different factions. The they all fucking hate each other. And <laughs> a little bit. Like, yeah, they're all competing and like resentful and stuff. That's a classic. It's rock why I band love it so you. much. It's 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 greatness born from fucking strife. You know, it's just a perfect like myth. This song is, and I should get off the bat, it is pretty, like, you could call this a, a problematic song. Like, that little run of, it's, like, very reminiscent of a pentatonic used in a lot of, uh, you know, like, American interpretations of Eastern music. Oh, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's, it's somewhat orientalizing of, you know, Asian identity. So, all, all, all that aside. Um, I mean, in the world of classic 70s rock, I... <laughs> It could be a lot more problematic stuff out there, but I, I totally get, I do understand yeah, that kind of like yeah, yeah. Did, 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 you know kind of classic. I, I didn't realize cliche. that until I was yeah until I yeah. like started listening to music from that part yeah. of the world of my own. Well, you know, it's not about like, f- having sex Matt, with a fourteen-year-old or something. <laughs> I think I think five-year-old me could have been canceled. I think yeah. In, in, <laughs> if I existed in in twenty twenty-two as a five-year-old, I think my beliefs and ideas would would ca- get me canceled. Yeah. Is this a skunk on the guitar solo? Uh, I don't think he was there yet. I think oh, this must okay. be Pat he's, Simmons. Oh, he's, yeah, because yeah, he's, he's still in Sealy Dan at this point. Okay, gotcha. Yes. All right, well, that's China Grove. I mean, I think that opening thing that, is yeah, one of the most it's beautiful. classic rock of all classic rock. Um, Easily. Things. I didn't want to, uh, yeah, I didn't want to cut us off too early here, but it's the final vamp. Beautiful. Um, one thing that I want to bring up before we move on from that specific song is, uh, so we were talking about before we started recording, uh, Tyron Porter, the bassist of the Doobie brothers from 71 to 80. And then he was back for a reunion tour and one of their, uh, less critically appraised albums in the eighties and nineties. Um, but he is just a top notch bassist that I don't think gets enough attention generally. Uh, that song I think is made by the bass. If I can just really quickly, somebody uploaded what they called the isolated bass track that Tyron Porter played back in 1970. When was that? Three was captain and me. Um, I'll take your word for it. (laughs) I don't know why I'm asking you, Uh, but the, I I just want everybody to listen to like how funky and moving this baseline is. It's very melodic. It's got a lot of like Motown inspiration and yet a very punchy, like round sound. I don't need to describe it to you when it's right here for you to listen to. This is Tyron Porter's isolated bass track from the song you just heard, China Grove. You just hear those like chugs and and yeah. sort of scrapes to it, and yet like he's flying up and down the the fretboard to like do that whole octave, this the fifth and octave. That's like a very Motown, like James Jamerson for sure. It, it's it's beautiful. Um, this song really does like in the bridge and stuff. It gets even more like funky, but that's what I love about this music with Tyron Porter particularly is how funky it turns a rock song, you know, without that, yeah. it's just not much of a funky song. It's sort of a straight ahead rocking down the highway, no pun intended rock song. 
but with this base underneath of it, moving everything and sort of like carrying it to a new funky level. Oh, I've really come to love his work since I started like playing bass myself. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's my Tyron Porter diversion. Just go go find out more about him. He seems like a really solid guy. No, but I mean, as I told you before the show, I literally have his name. I looked him up on Wikipedia. Um, I don't really know a ton about the Doobie Brothers. And I was like, I think it was Taken to the Streets was the one. I was kind of do, 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 I was like, man, this guy's good. So I looked him up and I I had I wanted to address him in uh in my notes. So I'm glad you, you pulled that. But I would say, yeah, uh, consistently across the board, um they have a great rhythm section. And he's a really uh yeah, he does a lot of he has a very R and B um approach to it for a guy in a rock band. Yes. I would yes. say he brought a lot of like something very special in particular to the doobies that I don't think they had without him. Right. Which actually brings me to, I think this is probably my, I mean, I haven't really heard much more Doobie Brothers um, than this, uh, mm-hmm. these songs, which I, you know, didn't realize how baked into my DNA they were from growing up in the <laughs> Midwest yeah, and uh, classic rock radio. But um, this is my favorite mode of theirs, which I would kind of think is like, I'll say like sort of like fake Santana a little bit um, mm-hmm. when they get kind of like the bongo drums and they kind of like more funky kind of thing. Uh, but uh, this has always been a favorite of mine. I think this is my favorite song by them. It's long train running. Um, I like it when they kind of get into this sort of groove with a lot of like extra percussion and it's a little bit more of a, a funky Latin R and B kind of feel, feel. All right. Here's long train running by the doobies. I mean, that's not far from disco. Like no. a Nile Rogers thing, like chic. I'm glad you brought up disco because it is exactly like in the seventies, a lot of bands were starting to mix in genres and oh, the, yes. doobies, the doobies decided funk and disco were going to be their mix in with like barroom rock and it just works so well. Yeah. Stones were big on disco. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I've always liked this one. It's always been a fave uh, of mine on the radio. I love the the percussion is awesome. What really makes it to me is like all that percolating kind of bongos and congos and all that. I I don't remember. Of course, percussionists are one of the like backbones of the band that has changed a lot over the years. I wonder if Bobby Lakind was still in this group because Keith, excuse me, Keith Knudsen was was one of the uh, drummers who ended up he passed and a benefit fundraiser just before he died was what brought them back together in the late okay. 80s. Yeah, I know. Porter shines on this one as well. Oh, incredibly. See that right there? That sounds very Steely Dan to me, that harmony. Yes. You don't hear harmonica solos in music anymore. I don't know why you don't. Very I feel rare. like I would hate hearing it on like modern uh, pop radio, just because it's like the way the banjo's been used. It's just like, oh, another instrument that can make the same like melody. But yeah, this is no, man, one I hot use of it. Bring it back, man! Like I want to hear like <laughs> fucking Dan Aykroyd and the, the new Phoebe Bridgers song, just laying down <laughs> some squawking, soulful. Bluesy harmonica. I, I think she'd be down for it. I think she, yeah. she's enough of an ironic millennial to really enjoy that. Um, 
it is it is no coincidence that you said this sounds like them at their doobies or sorry their their steely dan best because this is one of the albums to which jeffrey skunk baxter legendary guitarist of doobie or excuse me of steely dan for a while yeah uh was featured you know there's some of the they have that really weird like high tight harmonies where it's like a lot of different harmonies maybe like semitones i think yeah it's not michael mcdonald pick. going to this whole thing on like the asia classic albums where like becker and fagan like tortured him for like week doing these like <laughs> harmonies oh yeah on the steely dan like record yeah i believe it i believe it um i do uh <laughs> i do need jason i do need to get a little negative please on the next song please. i can take it i can take um, it where do you want to go? I bet if you had to guess, I bet you know which portion of which song I'm going to be negative about. Um, uh, are you talking about the end of Blackwater? <laughs> Indeed, I am. <laughs> well, we, we can let's you know wind it back a little bit. We can hear some you know Blackwater, and then go to the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, here's Blackwater. I mean, this is okay. The violin's kind of cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're okay with this. But... There you go. It's kind of a country rock kind of thing. Yeah, a little bit of, like, Appalachian back porch, you know, harmonies. It's nice. But then... Yeah, let me see if I can scrub around and find it, because it's not the end end. It's, like, just before the end. Nearly perfect, actually. <laughs> and the worst part is it's so oh, fucking catchy did. that you get it. I know. Head. So I know. Everyone has to be subjected to this if I had to be. <laughs> this imagine just being like being like five five hams or PBRs deep at a karaoke bar and oh. somebody decides to get up and do black water. And the other fucking imagine, annoying though, thing the I guarantee explodes. they did live. I bet they all like got their hands above their head and were like yes and the whole crowd supposed to fucking clap along to this shit it's gonna fucking rock so hard they did they play guarantee this one. they do that <laughs> they did play this one at the reunion concert i went to at the minnesota state fair in 2021 uh and yes people were just balls out just ready for this one and then also like dixieland jazz it's just like i mean some of that really early shit's okay but it's just like not that good i'm not a dixieland like no no it's always some shit like Here's a new song. I got a corncob pipe by uh, Jack Turner and the Hotsy Totsy Boys or some shit. You know, it's like, I don't want to hear it. Well, that's, anyway. that's the doobies venture into yeah. that. But, but I can so picture it when they do the breakdown live. I knew that they would do the like the above the heads. Like, everybody clap along. Sing along. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know what would be even more amazing is if, like, every once in a while, like, Donny Hathaway does this on his live record where, like, do they ever assign, like, different parts to, like, stage left stage right and center or some shit try to like get uh, the whole did, not for that specific song that's how I, you, that's I'll, difficult yeah 
it, I mean, especially when your crowd is like a bunch of white boomers and older in at the Minnesota State Fair, I I would not have trusted them to be able to carry a beat. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's a, that's a lot. That's a lot to ask. But I could kind of see like, uh, you know, see him trying. Um, yeah. Where else did you want to go on this record? Well, you know, before we get back to the like the canon, the Doobie Brothers canon, mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. did want to shout out a song. The only one that I didn't know um before this and i actually liked it i liked it a because it feels like it was the title was like some sort of like ai classic song classic rock song title generator and (laughs) it's got a cool vibe it's south south city midnight lady um which is i just love that title so much but like this is cool it's got like kind of a yacht rock feel to it it's a little bit more uh i don't know pensive than the mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff. I don't know if you if you like this song or not, but I I think partially I was drawn to it too because it was like one that I hadn't heard eight million times as well. Yeah, I, I do like this song. Um, I was going to say the contributions of Patrick Simmons, the guy who wrote the Blackwater, and a lot of the more country and uh you know Appalachian. I don't know, like hick music almost like really really country sounds um that comes from patrick simmons tom johnson was kind of like the disco funk guy uh patrick simmons was kind of the country folk guy and then when michael mcdonald the county came in and blew up everything but uh yeah i do i do like this song quite a bit we can take a listen to it just straight from the beginning yeah cool here's south city midnight lady To me, this is like true yacht rock, which I think is sort of an abused term or misused term. Yeah, it's got a little bit of. It doesn't have a shuffle, but it's like softer percussion. Clearly, like you know, people are supposed to get swaying at the bar, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but I also feel like there's sort of, to me, in pure yacht rock, there has to be just a little tinge of like sadness, maybe or melancholy mm-hmm. to it you know you're on your yacht you're on top of the world you're and listening yet, you're to some mellow happy. tunes but yet you know is there something missing still is it's this hard. all there is yeah what was it your daughter said something about charles groden once <laughs> we were watching the beethoven movies after he died and she's like He's never really satisfied, is he, Dad? (laughs) That is like the best definition of literally every Charles Grodin character he ever played in his entire career. Because then I watched Ishtar and uh, Midnight Run just months after that, and I was like, wow, she's right. Midnight Run, man. Midnight Run is a fucking classic movie. I I don't know why more people don't talk about that movie. (laughs) But anyway, I like this. You know, I'm a big fan of the kind of, you know, the gentle, like, you know, Flying Burrito Brothers, Mm -hmm. like... uh, Mm -hmm. Rock and hey, that's that's um, Skunk on the pedal steel again. So you Skunk know who you is like. really a hell of a. I mean, he's a really good guitar yeah. player. Yeah, also a great military industrial complex. Uh, Unfortunately, dude. he's very good at one other thing too. <laughs> does he make? Like, do you like design missiles to like kill? I think people he works with like, DARPA. Yeah, yeah. Third, third world countries. It is unfortunate. He's a good friend to uh, number forty-five. A great wearer of berets. <laughs> Skunk Baxter. <laughs> The rock I guess beret. I've never seen him in a beret. You've never seen him in a beret? Oh, yeah. No, no. Yeah. I think it might have been later when the hair was given out a little bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know okay. I mean? I'm seeing it. Went to the beret mode. This time he was like long haired in the Dan mode, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. But no, I'm talking more like 80s and 90s yeah. and today. Man, 
wearing that thing, he looks like Les Claypool. <laughs> yeah, kind of. this is weird. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that'd be a band. Um, <laughs> all right, well, we should we got to get we we got a lot of hits sure. to cover here. I just wanted we to do. shout out South City Midnight Lady. It's a good one. The copy pasta kind of song title, but I like it. <laughs> Dolly generated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, the, I, I, I would be up for talking about any of these songs. So well, you, is there you, another you one? Should, this is your pick. You should go. You should go. Okay. Um, let's see. Let's talk about taking it to the streets. We haven't talked about Michael McDonald yet. This was largely oh. a compilation. Sorry. Go ahead. We, this was largely a compilation put together before um, – much of Mike McDonald's influence was felt on the group, but there was one record under their belts. They had not yet put out um, minute by minute, but they had put out taking it to the streets from which this next song takes its title. Um, and it like was a huge sea change for the band. Obviously it was a great like change in their sound, but there's this weird, like, you know how there's the missing link between us and primates. There's like a, a sort of a, a missing like piece oh, yeah. of the evolutionary chain. Sure. This music is I forgot that honestly, any Michael McDonald music was on this first compilation because this is one of two greatest hits records that they put out in their first like twenty years as a band. Um, I forgot it was on there because it is just such a like mash of old writing style, old performance style, very like uh, Chuglin rock, and yeah. the new very soulful performance of music. So anyway, before I get into, too much into the yeah, later they basically sort of get closer to shit like I don't know Boz Gags or yes Steely Dan that kind of stuff a little bit. Yes, very much so. And that's primarily driven by McDonald's contributions to the band. But this song is like really good mix of both. And again, just listen to the bass, if nothing else, because Tyron Porter fucking kills this song too. This is Taken Into the Streets by the Doobie Brothers. I feel like this could be the beginning of a 70s sitcom when they used to do like the montage thing. Yes, I keep seeing like, you know, Soft-soled shoes plapping yeah. on wet, like, concrete in New York City. Totally, yeah. Like a young Jane Curtin's, like, late for work. <laughs> a cab, like, splashes her with a mud puddle. Something like that. Man, Jane Curtin, what a reference. I'm trying to think of somebody like that here. <laughs> Just the silver fox, man. Unbelievable. Just some soulful, good. laying down yeah. some soulful stuff. He, um, this was like the Doobie Brothers were not known for engaging with like socio political issues of their time. I guess they weren't like a, a convention pushing band in a lot of ways. This no. was seen as one of their big like social <clears throat> statements. Like, oh, you're speaking out against institutionalized poverty. You're speaking out against like uh, racial prejudice in this song, sort of thing. And today it rings as like. Yeah, he's sort of speaking on behalf of the underdog. But huh. back then it was it was seen as a big thing, like kind of a statement for them. And okay. obviously, you know, changing tide with the new singer and everything. I guess I never paid that much attention. I mean, like it's easy to miss today because it just does not seem that radical. But at the time for them, right, for the yeah. band specifically, it was kind of big. I mean, it must be said too, this was probably before this past week or so. I would imagine ninety percent plus of my Doobie Brothers listening was done in a car. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean, like yeah. throughout my life. So where you're feeling it and hearing it more than yeah, you're listening I mean, just to the lyrics, really, like, yeah. You know, scrutinizing. 
little smooth rock sax break. Mm-mm-mm. This must be a session guy, right? Does anyone play or? This is the. Uh, let me just make sure who I'm looking at. I believe this was the Memphis Horns. Oh, okay. Wayne, Wayne Jackson, Andrew Love. I don't know this group in particular, but they're credited as saxophones on this on this track. Yeah, I think they did. They were like a big session thing. Like mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. on a lot of like soul music and stuff. Um. All right, what, we should keep moving. This I, I, like, I was a big fan. Of, like I said, this was the one that made me notice some um, yeah. bass player. He just like, hey, man, it just like, moves so good. Doesn't there is cool because like the bass is moving up while the vocals are moving down, taking it to the street, and the bass is going da 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 da. That counter motion just works. Uh, but yeah, I don't want to, you know, put us too much in the morass of the doobies over here. I can yeah, yeah. talk about them all day. Um, I, we should hear Jesus is just all right. That's another been favorite, and we also like track down the original by the Art Reynolds singers, which is really cool. We'll play that afterwards, but um, I always dug this one. Like, I think uh, yeah. it's more similar to, like, long, uh, long Train Running, you know what I mean? I think I like that yes. mode of them. It is one of the songs my mom liked most because it, it gets to talk about Jesus. <laughs> here, is, here is Jesus is Just All Right With Me. I like this drum break's great. Also covered by the birds on the Ballad of Easy Rider, I believe. Oh. It's been covered a few times. Nice. Good riff. Good riff. Yeah, and this they added themselves, you know, so they're kind of embellishing on it for sure. It's not, you, know, you know, as you'll hear, it's not a like, yeah, super yeah. straight cover. Not, not to spoil too much, but uh, the other band that we're discussing today did that a bit too, to great effect for the covers that they have on they their did, uh, yes. on their records. I never thought about how good those are in comparison to the originals, even. This song yeah, just like drives and drives for for a couple minutes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's it's a very and, yeah. It's kind of like a yes. It's based and, on the gospel then, songs you'll hear, so you know it's kind of by nature. It's sort of for repetitive, yeah. you know. I think uh, probably call and response thing in the context yes, of the church. Definitely, and then eventually it goes into like this very soulful, almost like Johnny Winter breakdown, uh, which is a little bit less interesting. But I think if you're listening to the whole song, really fits. For the purposes of our discussion, do you think we've heard what we need to hear from, yeah, ju- yeah. from uh, Jesus is Just All Right? Yeah, the Art Reynolds singers, because I, I found this on YouTube, and I was like, damn, this one's kind of funky, too. It's got a little, a little kind of New Orleans meets Jamaica skank to it. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. Here we go. I like the bass part, and there's boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it feels weirdly like an upright thing, like a three-quarters bass. Yeah, I wouldn't doubt if it's upright. I have no idea. Yeah, this is really cool. I love the harmony. I love how drums on all these like kind of mid-60s soul records and gospel records sounded. They're so like, crunchy. Mm-hmm. I guarantee this has to be sampled at some point, I bet. 
It, some like you'd have to be insane not to hear this and think this would go sick under a really good flow. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, this is cool. Anyway, that was a nice little discovery for me. I didn't know where the origin of that yeah, song was. That's a great bit of context. Um, um, let's see. What else? Um, oh, I did have a portion of a song. And, I, you know, this song was okay. I didn't really think it was their best material. But I really did like the um, the end of Without You. Okay. From about 3.14 on. All right. Let me. This kind of feels like you know m- what they might do at a live show, like the last song before the encore. Kind of feel like they go oh, off yeah. a little bit here in a way that they don't often, or at least to my knowledge. Yeah. Uh, here is without you uh, at about three fourteen. Like, this is pretty heavy for them. Yes. And they were not much of a jam band. They were pretty tight, both live and on record. But this is where they get to do what they want, you know? Yeah, I, my gut was that this was derived from, like, a stage bit that they kept kind of jamming out for, like, a last song kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You don't have to listen to the whole thing, but I thought that was cool. We should probably, no, it is. I guess we haven't done like some really big <laughs> like hits here. I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm caught between like, do we really need to talk about songs that have been talked about for decades? Yeah. Uh, especially yeah. when we have a whole another record to talk about. But we got to listen to the music. We got, you know. We've missed so Rocking down the highway. Yeah. Like we have, we have skipped so much of this and it, I, it keeps I feel you like running we, another kind of a McDonald-y one. You know what we're getting into, Matt, is we're getting into like total doobies brain where we're like, we got to talk about all of them. We just like, they're all so good and different. Uh, maybe we don't need to go back to Blackwater for you, but um, no, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm totally satisfied. Don't. Like on, <laughs> I will torture you somehow. Right. That's yeah, we're good. Oh, and the other one I want to shout out just cause I was flipping through. What was the album? Stampede. I texted you about mm-hmm. it. Uh, yes, I cheat yes, the maybe. hangman. A very kind of weird, dark, kind of like psychedelic country rock and a doomy song mm-hmm. called I Cheat the Hangman on the album Stampede. Very cool. Yes. And I don't think you would guess it was the Doobie Brothers if you had a lot of guesses. It is very weird. Uh, it is based, too, on the Ambrose Bierce short story, An Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, uh, which is like a known piece of like psychological fiction. Um, wow. It is it is real good. Uh the really good story, really good song. I'm glad you dug around and found that because Stampede is one of those records that, again, sort of gets lost in the mash between the Johnston and McDonald eras because um, they put out a lot of music in that 10 years or so. Uh, and I'm glad you found it. I hope you go back for more at some point. Um, I don't understand if you if you can only take so much of, of Blackwater, but there's so much more to find. In <laughs> no, it's always irritated me. I had to, I had to call it out. But, you know, <laughs> and well, it's it's not so much that it's irritating, but it's also like so effective. Yeah, so no, like, it, you, it's like a it's like a uh, one of those bad like commercial jingles that you sort of curse, but then it's like you know one eight seven seven cars for kids, yeah, you know. It's yeah, like, or when you're done watching a cheesy like ro- romantic comedy movie, and you're like, well, why why do I have tears in my eyes if I hated this so yeah, much? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's switch gear to my pick. This is an album uh, I loved as a little child. I used to like just sit around and listen to my parents' record. I would say this and the Hot Rocks by the Rolling Stones, um, but I probably mm-hmm. like this better because the Stones felt a little bit off-putting or kind of 
maybe scary in some ways mm-hmm. um, now, to what, me. What was the what was the context in which you listened to this most? Was it was it car rides? Was it sitting down at home? Um, I think it was actually more like home. They had some like they still had their old record player and like like you know a normal, well adjusted human being amount of like records. Um, unlike <laughs> as opposed me. to somebody yeah. you know, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I just, I just, for some reason, I was drawn to this record. And I used to, I, you know, and it might have even been before five. Like I was, I was pretty little, and my big things I used to like to get the, um, like leftover chopsticks from like Chinese takeout, and mm-hmm. I used to like use those as drumsticks. And I would like play on a little chair. Oh hell yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, core I, memory type shit. I was just, uh, I was drawn to Creedence Clearwater Revival, drawn to the Chugal, uh, and this <laughs> is, uh, you know, I don't know. I would say, you know, a few things are perfect. I would say this is, is about as close to, to perfect as you could put together for a compilation of rock music. That's um, inarguable. Yeah. And they, I mean, you know, Credence, I think, I was actually going to, like, it's interesting to me that I feel like they're well-regarded in some ways, but sometimes I don't think they're actually even taken as seriously enough. Like, I, I kind of believe them really? to be one of the great bands of the sixties, like with the stones, with the Beatles, uh, with the who, or, you know, whatever kind of bands people want to talk about. Like I, I mm-hmm. truly, I mean, number one, their, um, their run of 1969, um, is I think like unparalleled. I mean, they, they released three albums, um, in the year of 1969, the calendar year. Are you for real? Yes. So their first album is the self-titled. That's 68. So that's May of 68. So almost halfway through the year. Mm-hmm. Cl- close to halfway. Oh, it's basically June. Exactly halfway through the year, basically. So January 5th of 69, they released Bio Country. August 3rd, they released Green River. November 2nd of 69, they release Willie and the Poor Boys. What the hell? That's so much music. It's incredible. I mean, and those are all three, like, I mean, those are classic, classic records. I mean, well, yeah. That I means there's so much from Green River on this collection. Like there are four or five songs, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just, un- I don't know a band that had a better one year run than that. I don't know how you could. I mean, those are all like certified, absolute classic records. And it, it is those records, dope. which make up, as you said, the bulk of this whole thing. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know, man. That's, that's really, um, it's pretty they, amazing to me. Yeah. Um, do you feel like they get, I don't know, pigeonholed for one or two of these songs? Because I was surprised maybe. at how many songs I didn't know were them or like that I had forgotten were just theirs because they seem to own it. It seems like just forever theirs kind of thing. Yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know if it's it's like, I think the things that they do are maybe not as outwardly innovative as say like something like, you know, Sergeant Pepper or... Yeah, I don't know Ziggy Stardust or think no those those things are very outwardly like hey this is a thing this is a new thing you've never seen before I would mm-hmm. say that I think CCR is actually a very modern band and I think their approach to rhythm and and playing um, I don't know there's something very like interesting and minimal about it I think that it it almost prefigures some like post punk stuff to me because it is Ooh. so minimal and they just they like stick. They also run into James Brown's band a little bit. Like they will stick to these little parts. Like every player is just playing these little things and they add up to this sort of machine, like little groove. But um, I don't know, maybe like Susie Q is a pretty good example of what would come to be known as Chugal. They're, they're kind of, I, I guess 
rhythmic sensibility or there was mm-hmm. this song called keep on chuglin um but i don't know ccr just has this very like kind of persistent kind of swampy kind of groove thing um that i think was pretty influential i like i certainly don't think there's easy top without them um but anyway. for sure for sure all right here is suzy q by credence clearwater revival Another fade in. Yeah. What a choice. The 70s or 60s. <laughs> but just somebody's, I think it's time for you. Dent, dent, you know, just one chord mm-hmm. like that. It's so, it's so cool. Is Fogarty doing the finger picking part? Yes, I mean, I think generally, like what you would consider the lead part is Fogarty, mm. and and Tom, his brother, is doing the more <clears throat> the rhythm part of the kind of repetitive part. Okay. Also, shout out to Stu Cook, another amazing bass player. Um, this is really this is good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and this is actually a this as you as you mentioned, this is a cover song. Um, but yeah, that that lead tone is so gnarly, and it. It stands in such contrast to um, the start of the record, or sorry, the start of the song, where it's fairly clean, like there's some reverb on it, but it's not like a super wet, crunchy tone. And then it pops into this and just blows your hair back. There's a little weird, like feedback stuff they leave in there, sort of ominous in a way. Mm -hmm. This is also, yeah, like this part. And why did like that's just in there for no reason, which I love. Um, this is a cover of a song by uh, Dale Hawkins, um, Canadian uh, rockabilly rock and roll guy. Brother Ronnie Hawkins was um, the founder. I mean, Ronnie and the Hawks became the band, so they were these real wild Canadian boys, or I think Canadian transplants up in Canada, but. But anyway, I think this is just a great, like, example of what CCR is known for. I think they're a groove band, if nothing else. Like, they sort of had a like a, a classic sort of rhythm thing that they did. Um, yeah. Yeah, Jason, I, I'm assuming you were familiar with CCR. Um, like, I think- uh, Yeah. <laughs> Primarily Fortunate Son, just because it's in every, you know, Vietnam-era movie. Yeah. Um, and that's the one that's like, oh, yeah, that's... I, I guess I'm one of those people that tend to... T- Pigeonhole them, not maliciously, not because I didn't want to like them, but just because I did not think about how influential they had been and how like many hits they had, um, and how they were able to, like I was saying with some of the cover tracks that are on this collection, how they were able to like repurpose a lot of the music that they were um, listening to that inspired them into new, like new classics. I guess I mean their cover of "Heard It Through the Grapevine" is. I think every bit as iconic as Marvin Gaye's version, um, just because of what they were able to do to it and the tiny tweaks they were able to make to it. Yeah. So listening to this, it was like they're not just their performing abilities or their composing abilities, but how they saw rock music, what they like did to music that already existed um, is where this band is like really special. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think also the modern mentality is like, it's sort of like a cheat to do covers or something like that. But um mm-hmm. 
You know, it was a different era back then. Like all these bands, they'd been at the Gollywogs, which I have a like sort of a bootleg kind of thing of their Gollywog mm. stuff. But um, you know, these were show bands. Like they they most of the bands in the '60s, like by the time they made records, they'd been playing for like four or five years, like in bars mm-hmm. and high schools and you know everywhere. You know, doing like half originals and half covers. So like a lot of this stuff, I'm 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 assuming it came from like their live sets at the time. You know, and they sort of developed yeah, and- their their sort of unique versions of this over like you know, playing them hundreds of times live. I was about to um, say, and you got to assume that if everybody's doing that in the seventies, you got to find some way to make your cover of Susie Q stick out for people and yeah. be like worthy of a record, you know? Yes. Um, where should we move next? Jason, why don't you, uh, pick one? Ooh, I mean, um, the, uh... Wow. Probably my favorite song that I've ever heard from them is bad moon rising. That is just such a, like, it yeah. encapsulates a lot of what I love about how weird the band could be at times, like how yeah. uncomfortably like creepy almost. Yeah, I want to, and there's a actually I had sort of a core of songs that included this that I kind of wanted to talk about. Um, Fogarty, I think, is a uh, an underrated lyricist, an underrated sort of chronicler of like the late '60s and the tumult. But mm. um, one thing I like about him is I, th- I think he placed his songs. Um, I think he saw saw like the sort of you know doom of the late sixties or maybe the doom of today as part of a long kind of this like almost apocalyptic tradition of like you know I don't know the evilness sort of that's like at the heart of the world or or uh, hmm. humanity and like so Bad Moon Rising is this great song because it's like it was definitely written obviously as a response to the all the upheaval of the late sixties but. I think it ages well because he doesn't do a lot of specific like references to like current events. Right. Right. Sort of this like these apocalyptic ill portents kind of like warning signs. Right. Like the only one that kind of is similar to that is like all along the watchtower by Dylan or Hendrix, you know, it's sort of like, I think it captures this sort of doom filled mood without really saying like, and then there was Vietnam and then there was, you know, Bobby Kennedy and you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, but, and it's also just an amazing song. It, it hides like <laughs> these really like like dismal and like really dire shit, yeah. dire lyrics in this really breezy, like amazingly written country rock kind of pop song that like is instantly just an earworm. So I, I think he was yeah. good at sneaking like very, like you said, odd and sort of almost evil stuff in a in a pop format. I I love that because it's such a big like idea to tackle with a song. And you could say that it's actually more relevant now than it might've been then, because there's a whole verse about hurricanes and rivers overflowing. Yeah. Uh, the end is coming soon. Like, Hey, climate change has not gotten better since this song was written 50 years ago. No. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of that he goes from the more biblical thing, which I think like makes yeah, it sure. translate to future times better. I I'll put my stake in the ground. I think this is a perfect song. This is bad moon rising by CCR. The reverb echo on his vocals yeah. is so good. It makes him sound like a town crier, you know, like he's the guy in the middle of the amphitheater prophesying doom. Yeah, no, it's it's just amazing. <laughs> like that's a crazy chorus for like a, a, a pop hit. Something's going to kill you. Don't go outside. <laughs> I know 
Yeah, I never thought about that actually. <laughs> Is he okay? Is John Fogarty like generally like um, has he had public struggles with with you know no, I mean I don't know social issues or, or mental health or anything because this know. is like I mean, this is some real genius shit but it, I I fear for this man's like well being <laughs> I don't I mean I've never got that impression but he seems a little bit closed off too I don't know mm. I know there was some really bad blood between him and his brother oh man like they never spoke after the band ever. Whoa. But like this line, I hope you got your things together. I hope you're quite prepared to die. I mean, to your point, to your point, that could be about anything that's just bad in the world, like a person going off to war, uh, somebody collecting their things before an environmental disaster, um, you know, any of the numerous horrible things that can happen in the world. that is two minutes and 19 seconds such a that's why i call it perfect is because like it takes no more seconds than it absolutely needs to do to make you hear and know like it sticks in your head the story's there the feeling is there i love that yeah i mean i consider them like (sighs) the word economical i just think of ccr as a very economical band you know i don't think there's wasted words i don't think there's wasted notes i don't think they play a song more than it needs to be played. I think they were so mm-hmm. focused on just honing down this like very simple kind of groove and their simple approach to music that was like really also like very difficult to do, but it sounds easy because they make it yeah. seem easy. Um, I know but- there, there's a mastery there. Um, now I want to know in that, in that simplicity, is that something that you've taken just as far as like these being influential records to yeah. us? Is this something that you've put into your own music? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, even when I was in like a real post-punk joy division, yeah, yeah, yeah. As you know, all that shit, you know, Interpol era. Yeah. Like I always thought CCR is just like they're the way they make grooves is so good. The way the drums and the bass work with the guitars. It's Mm -hmm. like, I don't know. It's something really brilliant about that. Um, uh, you know, and it's something like they're so bluesy and they're so based on like traditional kind of stuff, but it, it also feels modern. It doesn't feel old because I think they have this sort of modern approach to it. It's not trying to be like when they do blues, I never hear them trying to be like a blues man. I, I hear them kind of taking that stuff into sort of this modern context. Right. Um, right. And then sort of flipping it in a way or changing it in a way. Um, but yeah, as long as we're here, I think they have sort of a, a quartet to me of, um, I think, four of like the really great songs of the sixties. Um, but we should play it. Fortunate son is another one. I think that touches on political issues. Okay. You drop on my phone. Um, and, uh, you mentioned it. I don't know. Or, or is, is it a song that you liked or were you just kind of burned out on it from like, I know oh, it's no, I st- licensed. I still for, like it, but yeah, yeah it, it sort of has like in my head, sort of that almost punchline, um, sort of place in my head where it's like, I'm watching a movie that's set in at or during the Vietnam war. Uh, I'm going to hear fortunate son. You know, it is just like transcended itself sort of, uh, but divorced of that context, like I can still listen to it and really like, it's a really fucking good and incisive song. Like we were talking about his lyrics and how they're a little bit darker than you might expect in bad moon rising. This one's, there's a real invective to fortunate. This is explicitly like political, you know, anti 
rich, anti-war. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's got a sort of a punk edge. They weren't. I don't think they would consider them part themselves part of punk, but I think there's sort of a a rage and kind of like edge to this one um, that maybe looks forward to some of that stuff. Yeah, and the chorus is just perfectly like he's screaming, "It ain't me, it ain't me." I know Senator's son. We can listen to it, but like I chart this song by its emotion, by like the, how much he's going out of his mind with the vocals. Mm -hmm. Um, And it, uh, it always peaks right there. Um, So here is fortunate son by credence, Clearwater revival. Would you guess how long this song is, Matt? I mean, they're all very short, aren't they? This, like, is, this is another wait, two minutes and 19 seconds. I know, it feels like, like the song of the 70s, and it's fucking two minutes long. And again, you know, you could argue, <laughs> as we did with the last one, uh, you know, how much has changed with this one either, you know? Yeah. <laughs> In the next verse, he even, like, he even talks about the tax man and how people's, you know, personal wealth is built on fraud. Yeah. <laughs> the house looking like a rummage sale when the tax, tax man comes by. Love that line. Eat the rich. I definitely think starting the maybe early mid seventies, he he did have some uh, vocal issues. He's had to work through. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think he really why. tore his voice up. You know, yeah, yeah. During the the er, you know the the early days through like the peak of the band, you know, he was just like, I think he, you know, belted it out like this live like you know two hundred and fifty times a year as well. Yeah, I mean, I never want to advocate for people ruining their you know their natural uh assets in favor of like just making art that i like but i won't say that it wasn't worth it no (laughs) i mean i'm sure he'd do it again you know what i mean like yeah i mean without it i don't think you know he has to go for it that much with this song you know i don't think it works any other way um Yeah, just in and out too. It's amazing. It is incredible. Um, then two more in this kind of uh, section. Yeah. Uh, this is another one I think that you kind of are familiar with, especially with anything that used Vietnam. Uh, but run through the jungle, and I think this is another great um, instance where it's a topical song, but he doesn't really make it a topical song. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, he sort of sees it as sort of like, you know, it's actually, you know, the song is more closely to is like war pigs by black Sabbath. Where mm-hmm, like they turn mm-hmm. like, you know, Vietnam into this sort of like evil kind of demonic, uh, ritual kind of thing. Um, yeah. And obviously the run through the jungle is, you know, the most explicit part of, you know, but I, I think it's, it's interesting. And interestingly enough, I was reading up on this. He said, one of the verses, uh, that we'll hear is actually was sort of like a gun control song. That really, he when it says two hundred thousand gun or two hundred million guns are loaded, Satan tra- cry, uh, Satan cries, take aim. Mm-hmm. That was at the at the that point. There was a you know, which I'm still there's more now, but uh, there was a, a gun for every man, woman, and child in the U.S. And I think that pop was like two hundred million back then. 
Jeez. So, you know, again, like these things are, it's almost weird in, in some ways when I was kind of thinking about this record and listening to it, you know, from today's perspective, it's, uh, yeah, it's kind of eerie. But anyway, Never this is a, being relevant, a, yeah. one of their, their very best songs. All right. Run Through the Jungle. And this is like such a... Was that a pick slide or whatever? Um, I, I read. Spirit? I guess they did a. Ton, it's a ton of different stuff run backwards in the uh. studio, so I, I wouldn't doubt it. But in like feedback and stuff, but most of it's kind of this layers of backwards stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is one of their classic, I think, like swampy kind of grooves as well. Yeah, the bass again sounding like a wash tub, you know? Yeah. Yeah, this verse is what he's talking about. That's heavy. Satan cries, take aim. Uh, I don't mean to deprive the line of, of its power or anything. What kind of accent does John Fogarty have that any time that an urn sound leaves and I thought this was Justin Proudmary with like keep on toining and boining but this is every time he we, says urn yeah we'll, we'll keep, we should get into the whole thing with them uh, after the song because it's definitely okay. a thing I'll let you I'll, I'll let you pick it back up then you were right about the harmonica But he never tries to do too much with it. He just kind of like does these kind of like very. But I love this verse too. Like thunder magic spoke. But this line's like. Let the people know my wisdom. Fill the land with smoke. It's just like such a Jesus. you know. Who is who is he speaking as there? Just like it says over on the mountain, thunder magic spoke. I don't know if that's some god of thunder or something, or mm-hmm. I don't know, but just like the the natural earth belching back the evil we've put yeah, into it or something. Um, but anyway, yeah. So CCR is funny because they're such a, I think, foundational like what you might call roots rock band in America. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean in terms of stuff that was very rooted. Um, you know, to me, I see them as also sort sort of part of the thing that whereas like you know Dylan. Uh, doing the basement tapes, Dylan doing, you know, John Wesley Harding and uh, the band where there was sort of this turn back towards like kind of pre hippie and pre kind of psychedelic uh, mm-hmm. music. Um, even though I think they are kind of psychedelic in their way. Um, but yeah, you know, the, the, the funny part about it is for all their talk of bayous and, you know, rivers and, you know, toying and mm-hmm. boining down the river and shit. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're just, they're just some, hippie kids from Northern California, like North of San Francisco. <laughs> it's all completely like, you know, what I think what people would sort of see is one of the most authentic bands. And they really also, they had really invented the kind of look, which, you know, I've probably worn 80% of my adult life is like, you know, the classic, like, you know, uh, beat up jeans, you know, flannel shirt and like sneakers look like yeah, that's totally perfect. them. Um, Timeless. Yeah. And, uh, 
so just for a band that's, I think, regarded as so authentic, you could make the argument that they're just as concocted as David Bowie in their way. Yeah. You know, they're yeah. as far from like having grown up in the bayou of Louisiana or, or Mississippi <laughs> than, uh, than, you know, Bowie was from being a, you know, a glam spaceman or whatever. But yeah. uh, so I think that's a funny thing. And, you know, he definitely is, I think he's, you know, taking some of those guys like Howlin' Wolf or, you know, blues guys like that, uh, John Lee Hooker mm-hmm. and kind of just like almost over-exaggerating it. But I, the, the weird accent thing from all I can tell is just Fogarty. I don't know. Like, okay. <laughs> I don't think there's a regional dialect that, that really has that kind of I just want to hear him. He was just, you know, yeah, just in the moment and stuff. Um, I want to hear but, him do like a tongue twister about like burning and urns and like key turns. I just want to hear him do that sound over and over. Cause again, I thought yeah. it was put on for that one Motown <clears throat> cover, uh, the, the proud Mary. Um, but no, it's, oh. it's just part of, part of his thing. Did I lose you? No, no, but that's not a cover. Oh, that's not a cover? No. That's their original? Yep. Are you kidding me? Am I learning something on this podcast? No, no, no. They got a, yeah, they got, um, they kind of got hallelujah on that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like Cohen did. Mm-hmm, yeah. They just, the, the wow. Ike and Tina Turner version was so, um, yeah, I assumed just crazy and powerful that no, it is wow. a original Fogarty's. Um, and I guess for years he wouldn't play it. He refused to play it for some reason. Hmm. Um, and so then it just, and who knows? I don't know how he felt about the cover or whatever, but um, he didn't play it for many years live. I was just reading up on that. And then I think as a result, and obviously like, you know, the the television performance of of Tina Turner and Ike Turner is is so amazing that I think it just kind of took that song to a a different level. But no, so he he got the checks from it for sure. Yeah. Which probably, him. you know, takes the sting out of it a bit. <laughs> Maybe a little um, bit. Um, we want to hear, I mean, Proud Mary is kind of one of their iconic songs i would say was that one of your four for for them or did we oh right sorry i'm getting off my no? last one is a uh, um uh who'll stop or no not who'll stop the rain uh yeah who'll stop the rain? Seen? uh oh who'll stop the rain okay yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. two rain ones two rain ones that guy couldn't stop talking about rain okay here's who'll stop the rain by ccr But again, I think this is a, a kind of an interesting, you know, I went down you know, he, he, he always is placing things in this sort of larger context, I think, you know, just sort of mm-hmm. like the endless suffering of humanity, you know, not just like what's going on today. Right. And he also, he almost seems a little bit like ambivalent about the possibility that things can get better, you know? Yeah. And it's, he's being like pretty direct in some lines, five-year plans and new deals and others. He's like, you know, caught up in the fable, watching the tower grow. He's being, he's mixing like the literal, the very referential with the more 
timeless, uh, you know, poetic language. It's, yeah, it's, it's a really tight so. balance. Yeah. Well, this is a good song. This we got man. There's so many songs on this that are, and they're all pretty great. Um, yeah. So, Jason, is there any ones that you know stood out to you that you really wanted to cover? I mean, I, you I know, like all these songs. Yeah, no, uh, Commotion is one that I did not know before I listened to this collection. And that's basically like a heavy rock riff through it, right? Like that's proto-metal yeah. almost. It's I like, fran- it's that. really frantic. And it, again, I think this is, this is actually a great song that illustrates, I think, what I'm talking about, where it's like the form of this, everything they're doing is straight up blues. But yes. the way it's arranged and played, it makes it feel very urban and very frantic and kind of heavy and not at all like groovy or like soulful you know what i mean it's, it's almost yeah. like this relentless kind of thing i i love that it feels like one of the songs that is pulling music from like r&b and blues and like early rock into like a a, a sort of heavy and and almost punk direction like very prototypical but if you listen to it and with that set of headphones on man Anyway, this is Commotion, one of my favorite tracks from this from this collection by Credence Clearwater Revival. I love his, he's so primitive as a lead guitar player too. I love it. He's just like strangling that thing. Yeah, yeah. That like chromatic do, 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 doom. Yeah, yeah, I love this song. Glad you wanted to talk about this one. And it's got that kind of ch- 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 like yes, not quite punk, but like almost almost chuglin, yeah, yeah. This riff, uh, right after the right after he says commotion at, in the in the chorus. Like if they had like a harder overdrive on that, and if the cymbals opened up, that's like. It's kind of like a Black Sabbath riff. That's nearly yeah. Slower. That's like Black Sabbath. Mm, it's just a good one. It's catchy, and like you say, he's just choking the neck of that guitar to get these really tinny notes out. Is this one you remember from from childhood? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where, like, when I when I listened to this, you know, for the sh- the prep here, it, it was like, man, I just I know all these songs just back to front. I listened to them so many times, yeah. you know, and just I was really kind of obsessed with looking at the in, in, inside and of the the double vinyl thing, and it was just oh, yeah. yeah. So what was in there? Was it just band photos? I, I can't remember. I think it was like band photos. There's a cover where they're kind of doing that like superimposition thing where it's like like poor. <laughs> The rhythm section is totally gets the short shrift in the back, but uh, <laughs> actually, recently, I think maybe about two, three, four years ago, they released Credence's set at Woodstock. Which uh, damn, there was a lot of people at Woodstock that weren't didn't turn over their rights to the movie makers for the the famous documentary, so there's not really mm-hmm. associated with um with Woodstock. Um, but like the band played at Woodstock, Grateful Dead played at Woodstock. Oh yeah, that was end too. Uh, CCR played at Woodstock. Um, 
But yeah, it's it's actually amazing. They do this super. Uh, what's the song at the end? They do this super long. Um, uh, yeah, they 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 do back to back ten plus minute versions of "Keep On Chuglin" and "Susie Q." Oh the hell end. yeah! But it's awesome because like <laughs> they're not really jamming. They just keep like making little variations on the groove until it gets almost like this sort of hypnotic thing. That's but like they're awesome. not doing the whole like you know exploratory like solos and all that type of shit yeah, you know? yeah uh it's amazing and i don't know for years he kind of slagged off their performance and i think that um well a i think he hated the event and i think b he was i guess they were they headlined that night and they were very very irritated at, at the grateful dead um because the dead just went on for like two and a half hours and just i guess <laughs> Bordy was like on record as saying like well the band before has put everyone to fucking sleep um, talking about the dead and it was I guess well, even the dead fans will on. say it's kind yeah. of a famously bad dead set so um, uh, I think he was just sort of pretty angry by the time he got up and uh, my, my impression of, of Fogarty is that he's a prickly character perhaps um, easily perturbed well yeah you know he said all those legal battles and you know him and his brother I don't think even really reconciled on his brother's deathbed um, Ooh, after he well, left I the band so actually it's funny to you should uh, read about um the last album, Mardi Gras, is only a three-piece because his brother Tom, the other guitar player, left. And oh. um, so I guess throughout the whole entire, you know, life of the band, it was always sort of this, like, resentment at John for being kind of a dictator or, you know, writing all the songs and kind of being the front man and, and you know, having this sort of vision, you know, it's not unlike some of the relationship between like some of the band members and like Robbie Robertson. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But so Tom quits before, uh, before Mardi Gras, their last album, and it's going to break up. But then I think Stu Cook and Doug Clifford want to keep going. And Fogarty's like, okay, but you know, because of all this, like we're only going to do this as like a democracy. Everyone's going to get songs. Everyone's get the same amount of songs. Everyone will just, you know, we'll do your songs the way you want them to be done. You know, when I'm right. there with your songs, I'm just going to play guitar. I'm going to sing like a, a session guy, which sounds great, right? Like it sounds like he's say, being like It worked perfectly, right? <laughs> but he knew that these guys didn't have it, right? And so uh. he, he knew that they were going to struggle. He knew their songs were going to be like subpar. And there's a famous part where I think Stu Cook comes to him like, in the run up to going in the studio, he's like, Hey John, can you just help me like punch this up? This song just needs some work and I'm stuck. He's like, Nope, Nope. This is your vision, Stu. You, you gotta do it, man. <laughs> I so don't it's like, I don't want to taint your vision. He almost like purposely sandbags the last album. Oh my God. Because he knew like, you know, and of course like the last album sells poorly compared to the others. And there's only like, you know, one hit. And that's one of the like two Fogarty songs that he contributed. He might only contribute uh-huh. like Mark, like two or three songs. To Mardi Gras, so it's it's pretty funny, like passive aggressively. Yeah, that's that's like one mercy killing. Two, he's just being a butthole at that point. Yeah, like, I mean, a little I, shitty kid. That's very funny. Yeah, I think he's, you know, like I said, I think he's a he can be he could have been a yeah. Like I'm looking at it now, yeah, only three songs, and of course, the only two "Somebody Never Comes" and "Sweet Hitchhiker" are the only hits, which are his songs, and those I, are both I on this collection. Oh my yeah, goodness! Yeah, and I don't know any of these ones by Stu Cook. Or or Doug Clifford, but <laughs> well, that was a pretty funny like power move. Kind of. <laughs> that is pretty good. Um, um, but let's there, let's hear another one here. Well, there's so many of these. Yeah, I, my last one that I'll say I want to listen to is uh, "Looking Out My Back Door" because it is it is how I want to feel when I own a home. Um, 
Looking Out My Back Door by CCR. Yeah, this is such a nice song. People at the time speculated it was like an LSD, like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I looked at that. I but he, could he be. has always denied it. Um, mm. But he just wrote it for his son. It's kind of a ch- kind of thing. He doesn't seem like he'd write a LSD song, you know, I would say. Doesn't seem like that kind of guy. No, nah, not really to me. Listening to Buck Owens. Do, 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 looking out my back door. Tambourines and elephants are playing in the band. Won't you take a ride on the flying school? Do, do, do. Yeah, this is just such a nice, like, just comforting song. I know. Like, I don't know, man. Just like, after a hard day of work, I want to come home. want to, like... Mm-hmm take my dog on a walk want to mow the lawn yep. just kick up and this is my little my little patch of paradise kind of thing yeah no and, and the, that's a great thing he, he name checks buck owens obviously in there but i think that was you know he got obviously a lot of, a lot of blues but i think uh he really absorbed like the craft of like classic nashville songwriting mm-hmm. like kind of like factory songwriting where like it's just like perfectly constructed and everything yeah. has its place and you know, there's a bridge and there's a chorus, verse, chorus, bridge. And like, he just, he really nailed like the forms of that stuff. Mm-hmm. That's a really good part too. That's yeah, a great descending. little part. His, that's the other thing is guitar parts are so melodic. He's not the most hot shit player, but mm-hmm. they're really memorable. Like every single one's memorable. There's a video. I'm assuming it was the one that was used to promote the song when it first came out. This drag is really nice too. Um, where he's just like he's singing and playing the guitar, and he's doing the leads, and it seems impossible that he'd be able to keep the rhythms going and stuff. I don't know. He, you can tell the talent in that video. Oh yeah, he's great. Yeah, that was one of my favorite tracks from this record. Um, all right, maybe there's two more. These are all short. Yeah, yeah. but we're kind of going on the softer side now. Um, this is another song I feel is kind of like a perfectly written song. It's also maybe one of the first instances of a now classic of rock, the, the road song, the on uh-huh. touring song, Lodi, um, which also, you know, even if you're not a rock star, even if you've just played a series of poorly attended gigs and shitty bars over time, <laughs> you can, everyone can relate to it on every level. And it's just another a, a classic song. All right, here he is. Just about a year ago, I set out on the road, seeking my fame and fortune, looking for a pot of gold. Things got bad and things got worse. I guess you. I'm not familiar with California geography, but apparently that's a town, kind of like a nowhere yeah, town. Yeah, it's in, um, it's between Stockton and Sacramento, which mm-hmm. 
was sort of a semi kind of bumfuck agricultural <laughs> area. Definitely right. not a glamorous part of like the least glamorous part of California, like by far. Oh, okay. Except maybe like inland sea or whatever. Um, but so yeah, it's, I think it was just kind of a dumpy little town along the, the highway. Mm-hmm. The way he sort of adds a syllable to the start of the name, oh, Lord, I'm stuck in a low die. <laughs> yeah. It makes it sound very, like, country, very sappy. I like that. Yeah, this is another one of his great, I think, like, country songs, basically. The man from the magazine said I was on my way. Somewhere I lost connection. It's funny. So that I guess low is about 67,000 now, but I bet that's probably at least half that Yeah, yeah. back then. It's he's sort of singing about like how he never became anything, or is it just like about fears of not making it as a musician, yeah, I mean, as an artist? It feels like they're probably looking back at a time when they just did these, you know, because if they were from Northern Cali, they probably swung up to San- Sacramento because it was like mm-hmm. the state capital and stuff. Probably just you know like any band just going through a series of like really bad, you know. This is such a great line here. But, uh, you know, it's just kind of a, I, I like it because it's sort of the, op, like, in a very CCR way, it makes sense that they're kind of giving you, like, the the opposite of the usual, like, kind of rock star fantasy, you know what I mean? Like, they're yeah just working stiffs, you know, on the road, and they're in some, you know, one-story motel outside of Lodi. Yeah. <laughs> But again, that lead. That boop, 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 doo, doo. Yeah, that's beautiful. Great. That's really good. Um, there's one last song that I didn't think I was going to play until I was reading more about it. And yeah. this, I, I, this is a great song. I love this song. It's the last song, uh, Someday Never Comes. But I was reading up on it. And like this is like, now that I know the backstory, it's like really even more kind of a devastating song is basically oh. like this was written, I guess Fogarty's parents had a really a nasty divorce when he was a child and it was very traumatic for him. Mm-hmm. And then this song, he's basically writing because his marriage with the mother of his son at this time is now like rapidly disintegrating and heading for divorce. Oh boy. So, so he's kind of seems like, like I'm, I'm just sort of like repeating the exact same, you know, pattern of like causing my son all this pain that my father kind of did to me. And like, yeah, which yikes. I mean, it was always a very like melancholy song, but now like knowing that background, listening to the lyrics, I think it's even more you know, a powerful song. Woof. All right. Well, here is Someday Never Comes by CCR. Oh, there were many things I didn't know 
That's an extraordinarily like kind of bitter chorus lyrically too. Yeah. This was also from their final record, the one that he only contributed yeah. a few songs to, right? Yeah. I wonder, wonder what made this. Was it just the timing of his own marriage falling apart yeah, that made I it think the right so. time to yeah. put it out? Imagine being either of the other band members, <laughs> and he yeah. writes this song and puts it out, and you're like, what am I supposed to do? Yeah. But also that lyric previously then one day in april i wasn't even there like he missed his own son's birth assuming he's probably on the road you know oh man it's like it's a brutal i mean i like i was a very sad song obviously but i was like man now that i know the backstory and i listen to these lyrics like jesus Jesus. i didn't even think of that like freshly freshly born child and her mother is telling the child someday you'll understand because your dad's not here yikes I think it was September the year that year I went away. Like, geez, dude. Okay, well, we're getting really sad now. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting sad too. I'm going to be talking about this in therapy. Um, but I have one th- feel-good thing, Jason. Of one little thing. Please, I need it so bad. So I want, I've found a musical connection between the Doobie Brothers and CCR. Oh my goodness. So um, let's see here. Okay. So play, um, what's the other Rain song? Uh, Have you ever seen Rain? Have you ever seen? Yeah. So just play like the first, whatever, 10, 15 seconds of that. Okay. Have you ever seen the Rain? This is a great one too, man. These are all good. Yeah. This. That little thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now play the last like 10 seconds of rocking down the highway. Oh boy. I know where you're going with this and I love it. Here is the end of rocking down the highway by the Doobie brothers. Perfect. Oh my god! But it's like that's, din, that's, din, din. <laughs> they they have a little hiccup there. But I yeah. almost wonder if that's like a little, like you know, Easter egg by them or something. I don't know. It sounds it sounds uh, too coincidental. But me. anyway, I noticed nice. that. So that's a fun fact to kind of lighten the mood here before we head out. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm back up now. Uh, I'm no longer depressed about uh, yeah, well, absent fathers. <laughs> Who could be who could be depressed when you listen to Rocking Down the Highway? And you actually are rocking down the highway in life. I hope you're listening to the to this yeah. uh, while rocking down the highway, listener. And um, then life is a highway. 
Um, <laughs> and I want to ride all night long. Also uh, that, yeah. <laughs> Great highway uh, songs. It's a future episode yeah. of CrossFade. Look forward to it. <laughs> highway songs, man. We could probably do like 10 uh, yeah. episodes of CrossFade about highway songs. It's a very uh, – it's like it's irresistible the songwriter you know it's a metaphor for it's a rich thing and yeah, yeah. it's also like speaking there. of um china grove i was gonna say no songwriter can resist calling san antonio san antone <laughs> like it's i mean impossible. try rhyming something else with antonio yeah it, it, antone <laughs> it's just like it, it's always san antone and you always sound like you're from there as soon as you say yeah, it. Yeah, you're a yeah. local. Yeah, which locals <laughs> probably like don't hate or something. But, they fucking hate it. Um, but yeah. Um, so anyway, this was really fun. Uh, this, this brought back good. a lot of memories for me, um, and I'm happy that I still like. I guess I still like the first music that I ever liked a lot. Um, <laughs> it's it's a good sense of self yeah. to come back to. Yeah, yeah. Um, brings me back to the farm, listening to CCR. Um, <laughs> but anyway. Uh, this was a great idea. I mean, it was a little adapted from the pitchfork thing, but I think it was sort of a similar uh, in spirit, hopefully, like kind of what, what things meant to us at a very young age when yeah. we were sort of starting to love music and be aware of music. For um, sure. But uh, And I, I will say thank you again to PodBod, uh, MinMax supporter, uh, for that suggestion. We listen to the community all the time. Uh, it's just the people who support us on patreon uh you know get a certain um they have our ear in a certain way i guess and we love hearing from them and we love knowing what ideas they have about music and hearing their opinions and such so hey stay in touch absolutely and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks this has been crossfade take care Looking for her, she gonna-